You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. It was eternity. It was his exaltation. It was his promotion. It was what God was going to do with him and for him and through him once the cross was finished. Folks, listen, you got to have a cross to get a crown. And when you're going through a cross, you don't stare at the cross. You don't fixate on the cross. You look beyond the cross to what is coming. And what is coming is the blessing of God, the promotion of God, the exaltation of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God. Today in his message, Pastor Jeff leads you on a journey of discovering God's plan for your life. From the very outset, God has laid out a purpose that beckons you to seek Him daily. By fixing your gaze on heavenly aspirations, you tap into the wellspring of God's mercies that unfold each day. Aspiring to be like the Lord seeks to not only fulfill your purpose, but also to magnify God's name to the world. Be inspired by God's daily mercies and never cease to grow closer in your communion with Him. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, as he begins his message, How Abraham Kept Going. I love the story of Abraham. He's called the father of our faith. So being the father of our faith, we need to look at his faith study his faith, and one of the things we need to find out is how in the world did he make it to the end? How did he go all the way? How did he make it where he finished his calling, finished God's purpose for himself, and went to heaven hearing, well done? How did he do it? Well, let's begin at the beginning. At the beginning, Abram, that was his name, Abraham, or Abram before it was Abraham, was living in a city called Ur. Now, that's easy to remember because you say, where are you from? Ur. Isn't that easier than Fort Worth? Ur. Now, he's living in a city called Ur when all of a sudden, God appeared to him. We don't know how God appeared to him. I wish I knew how. But God appeared to Abram and spoke to him and called him to come out. The Bible says he obeyed when he was called to go out. You know, God will either call you in or call you out. Generally, he calls you out so he can call you in. Now, we are told that he had no idea where he was going. Can you imagine that? God said, come out and just start walking. Try convincing the wife to go with you based on those terms. Come on, honey, we're leaving. Where are we going? I don't know. Can you imagine that? Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. Well, where are we going to end up? I'm not sure. Sarah had to be a woman of faith as well. No idea. It says, not knowing where he was going. He just started walking in the general direction that God showed him. And, you know, folks, that's typically the way a step of faith works. When God tells you to do something and uh, you don't know how it's going to end up, you don't know how it's going to work itself out. You know, God told us to get this building. And when he told us to get this building, it was really, really depressing looking in the natural. This was a warehouse. There were tractors in here. And the outside was awful. And all of our elders said, Pastor, we can do better than this. And I said, you know, I want you to pray. Let's look at it the way Jesus looks at us when we get saved. Because we're a mess, but he doesn't see what we are. He sees what we shall be. Amen? Thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm sure not what I used to be because the great renovator has come into my life and he's renovated me and brought me up to this point. So 
when God tells us to do something, take a step of faith, make a move, do something, he says go, or he says do, or he says step. We don't know how it's going to end up. We don't have the full picture. We generally do not have all the details. We just know that God has said to do it, so we step, and that's what Abraham did. Now, when we survey Abraham's incredible journey of faith, and it was incredible, here's what I've noted. There's three cities in Abraham's life, three cities. And I want to go over these cities with you today. Here, here they are. I want you to say them with me. The city behind him, er. There was the city beside him, Sodom. And there was the city before him, heaven. Now, the city behind him, Ur, represented his past. We all have an Ur behind us, the place of our past. The city beside him was Sodom, and it represented the world. Sodom represented the world, and we have our very own Sodom now, don't we? And then there was the city before him, which was heaven. So those are the three cities in Abraham's life. Now, concerning that city that was before him, I want you to realize today that the way his eye of faith was peeled on that city, it was his keeping his focus on that city and the God of that city that brought him through all that he went through and brought him to the other side, brought him to the finish line, and helped him to finish well. Listen to what Hebrews 13, verse 14 says about that city. The writer of Hebrews says, For there is no permanent city for us here on earth. Fort Worth's not permanent. Fort Worth's going to go away one day. Burleson's not permanent. It's going to go away one day. Dallas-Fort Worth is not going to be here one day. It is not a permanent, eternal city. Okay? So there is no permanent city for us here on earth. We are looking, the Bible says, for the city which is to come, whose builder and maker is God. Now, this was Abraham's belief and Abraham's conviction, and this is where he planted and the stake of his faith, right there. It was what helped him to persevere through it all. It was what he was focused on. Now watch this. Even Jesus did this. It says, when he was headed to the cross, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God and lives to make intercession for you and for me. Now, how did Jesus go to that bloody, torturous, loathsome, difficult, painful cross? How did he do it? He did it by keeping his eyes peeled on the joy set before him. And what was the joy set before him? It was heaven. It was eternity. It was his exaltation. It was his promotion. It was what God was going to do with him and for him and through him once the cross was finished. Folks, listen, you got to have a cross to get a crown. And when you're going through a cross, you don't stare at the cross. You don't fixate on the cross. You look beyond the cross to what is coming. And what is coming is the blessing of God, the promotion of God, the exaltation of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God. So that was Abraham. He said, I'm going through all these things, but I'm keeping my eye on the city whose builder and maker is God. Now, I want you to know that Abraham was a wealthy man. Abraham was rich, probably the richest man 
on earth in his day next to the pharaohs and whatnot. But he could have lived in a mansion if he'd wanted to. He could have built his own city if he'd wanted to. But he didn't. We see in our text that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob chose to live in tents. Now, why in the world, if you can build a great big house, would you choose to live in a tent? Why would they do that? Because this was their outward testimony that this world was not their home. That's why they live in tents. It was not their permanent dwelling place. We're just passing through. Now, you may think, well, that's way back then, and they dealt with tents back then, but my friend, right now, you are sitting in a chair in your own tent. The Bible calls your body a tent. And one day, the stake's going to be pulled up, and that tent is going to be folded up, and you are going to leave the tent you're dwelling in, and you're going to go to a place called heaven. Boy, we need to talk about heaven more. We need to talk about heaven more often than just at funerals. We're going to heaven. And I want to say it again. Heaven is for real. Heaven is for real. It's not brothers grim. It's not a figment of our imagination. Abraham so believed in the world that was to come that it says, I'm going to live in a tent. He said, I'm going to live in a tent. I'm going to be nomadic. I'm not going to build a house. I'm not going to do anything that looks like I am planting my stakes permanently on this earth because I'm looking for another city whose builder and maker is God. As long as they lived in tents, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of our faith, lived in tents. As long as they lived in tents, here's what they were doing. They were testifying to the world that their home was not of this world. We're just passing through. Can I inform you today, you're just passing through. We are sojourners, we are pilgrims, we are just passing through this world. The three patriarchs lived in uh, nomadic lives. The Bible says, as in a foreign land. Have you woke up lately and said, boy, this place, this world, this is not my home. Have you done that? If you looked around and said, man, I can no longer, I can't identify with what's going on in this country, in this world. This place is not my home. Thank God there is a city whose builder and maker is God, heaven. Now, I want to look at these three cities in Abraham's life. And I want to apply them to you and to me in our walk with the Lord. The first city was the city behind him. We all have one, the city behind him. It was Ur of the Chaldees. Ur of the Chaldeans, the city behind him. The city behind him represented Abraham's past. We all have a city behind us. We all have an Ur behind us. So let me tell you about Ur, what Abraham had to walk out of. Because Ur was not some small little insignificant town on the other side of the tracks. Ur was a major city. It was a beautiful city. When God appeared to Abram, Abram was enjoying the creature comforts of life. Ur consisted of about 24,000 people. Now, back in that day, that was a city, 24,000 people. In Ur, they worshiped other gods. Ur did not know the real God, the God that came to Abraham and called him. Ur had no knowledge of that God. Ur worshiped the moon god. As a matter of fact, they so believed in the moon god that the moon had some ability to answer prayers and requests that they built 
religious temples made of rich stone where they brought their gifts and, and really we could say their tithes to the moon god because he believed he was their protector and he was their provider, the moon god. So Abraham, when he was Abram, was raised in idolatry and cultic activity. He did not have parents taking him aside and said, now, sweetie, let me tell you about the real God. No, no. He was raised with them pointing to the moon and saying, there's your God. We pray to that moon. We believe that moon to protect us if we do what's right, if we offer to the moon our worship and our gifts. So he was raised in dark, confusing idolatry which makes it all the more amazing that the real God went into Ur and found him, called him out. But no more amazing than the fact that God came into your Ur and called you and found you and called you out so he could call you in. And now you're out of the world and into Jesus. But it was by grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Even though they were steeped in idolatry, Ur enjoyed a, a very highly advanced civilization. Ur was filled. We now know because of archaeological digs and whatnot, Ur enjoyed marketplaces and schools and libraries. And it was an advanced culture. Not only that, but Abraham's neighbors had beautiful homes because many of the people in Ur were wealthy people. There were lush gardens, beautiful houses, many conveniences and creature comforts that Abram was enjoying as a boy as he grew up. He was in a place that was very, very nice. And then here comes Jehovah, the living God, appeared to him somehow. I don't know how. A voice, a dream, a vision. We don't know how. But he appeared to him and said, I want you to come out of here. I want you to leave this place. Because even though it was nice and comfortable and you went home and kicked back in your lazy boy and enjoyed a nice meal and you had your children and your grandchildren and everything looked good, it was steep in darkness and satanic cultism. And so God comes and calls him out. And here's what God said to him. If you will leave this place, if you'll come out, Abram, I'm going to bless you with blessing. And I'm going to make you the father of many nations, but there's even something more powerful than that. Through your seed, Abram, through your seed, I'm going to give you a son. And through your seed, your lineage, your descendants, is going to come the savior of all mankind. If you just come out. You know, it's amazing. When God calls us to come out of something, it's amazing what he's got waiting if we just come out. What he's got waiting for us, if we'll just come out. We think that Ur is worth hanging on to, but not when you see what God's got for you if you come out. If you come out, then God will bless you exceeding abundantly above. So isn't it funny how we cling to the things of Ur, but then God said, if you'll just turn loose, if you will just let go, I will bless you I will lead you, I will guide you, I will enrich you, I will do things that you would never experience had you not followed me. The Bible says, by faith, Abraham obeyed, and he walked away from Ur. Come on, honey, Sarah, let's go. We're leaving. He said to his father, Terah, come on, I want you to leave with me. Let's go. 
We're just going to start walking. We're going to leave this place. I know you're attached to it. I know you want to cling to it. I know you do. Isn't it funny that Abraham was willing to let go of Ur while his nephew Lot could not let go of Sodom? So here's the principle. In order to step into what God has for your future, you need to leave the place of your past. One of my favorite verses is in Isaiah where God says, remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Shall you not know it? I'm going to bring forth a blessing. I'm going to bring rivers in the desert. I'm going to bring a roadway in the wilderness. I'm going to make a way where there is no way. I'm going to be the way maker for you. If you will just obey me and come out. Sometimes you've got to let go of your past so you can embrace your future. Now, when I say let go of your past, please understand what I don't mean. I don't mean deny your past. I don't mean be ashamed of your past. I don't mean develop some kind of spiritual amnesia concerning your past. What I mean is don't live in your past. Don't live in your past. Because you can live in good times in your past. You can live in the pain of your past. Listen, some people never embrace what God has for them because they are convinced that because of their past, they have been disqualified for a future in God. But I'm going to tell you, the blood washes away every sin. The blood washes away every mistake. The blood washes away everything. So when God says, I want you to come out so I can take you in, then sometimes you got to lay that past down. Don't cling to the memories of it. Don't live in the guilt of it. Don't prefer it over God's plan. Don't say, those were the days, my friend. We thought they'd never end. Oh, the move of God back then. Oh, it was so good back in the 70s, back in the 80s, back whenever. Or I'll never have another relationship like that one. Mm-hmm. See, when we say the past was better than today, we are saying, God, you can't beat that. But let me tell you, God can always beat that. Now, I'm going to get this CD. I need to hear that myself. God can always beat that. See, don't say, the Bible even says in Ecclesiastes, why are you saying the former days are better than these? That's not wisdom that's talking out of you. Don't say the former days are better than these. Say the former days were only a warm-up because God's going to do a better thing. God's going to do a new thing. I'm supposed to preach that to somebody today. Some of you are saying, well, I'm never, never, never going to have a better day than before. Oh, yes, you are, because he does exceeding, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think, but you got to come out so you can go in. So Abraham left the city behind him. Bye. Bye-bye. All the memories. Bye-er. See y'all. Where are you going? Not sure. Where are you going to end up? Don't know. What's your ultimate goal? Heaven. Going to Heaven. Going to heaven. Notice, no one went with him but family. Then there was a second city in Abraham's life, the city beside him, Sodom. Whereas Ur represented the past, Sodom represented the world. Now, folks, I ask you, in our culture today, do we not live right next door to Sodom? 
just like Abraham did. See, here's Abraham walking along, and one day him and Lot, they both had grown so rich that Abraham said, look, there's too much conflict between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. You choose where you want to go, nephew. And Lot looked out over the plush plains of Sodom. He saw this beautiful countryside, and he said, that's where I want to go. And he left, and he went towards Sodom. It says he pitched his tent facing Sodom. What did Abraham do? He stayed in his tent and kept going the direction the Holy Spirit had indicated he should go. To his side was Sodom. Sodom was his neighbor. It was right there. And it's interesting to me that you got two men, both that the Bible calls righteous. One is destroyed by being sidetracked into Sodom. The other keeps his faith by refusing to fellowship with Sodom. Lot lost his way, lost his walk by caving into Sodom, living in Sodom, fellowshipping with Sodom. Abraham, on the other hand, he avoided it. He refused to succumb to it, and he lived separated from it. He did just exactly what the Bible commands us to do. I want you to listen to what the Bible says. And let me talk to you real bluntly about you and me as Christians living in this world. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 to 18, Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. Now, that's the addendum to the verse. He's not saying leave the world, get into a little church bubble, and don't have anything to do with the world. But he's saying, don't touch the filthy things. That is, don't be polluted and tainted and stained or become involved with their lifestyle and their sin. And I will welcome you, says the Lord. And I'll be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now here's a fact of life. Every Christian is called to come out of the world, the sin of the world, the thinking of the world, the ways of the world. Now, the Bible says a lot of things about our relationship with the world. Because listen, one of the great battles you will face this week and for the rest of your life is the pull of the world. It's a force to reckon with. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life are what comprises the evil system called the world. He's not talking about God's beautiful creation. He's talking about the lifestyles of the wicked. He's talking about the ways of the ungodly. For instance, it says that if we become the friend of the world, we're the enemy of God. Wow, now that's strong. If I'm a friend of the world, I'm an enemy of God. How could that be? Here's why. Because to be befriended by the world where they embrace you and receive you and have no issue with you, you've got to compromise your faith. And if you don't compromise your faith, you're going to be persecuted, and you won't have to tell worldly people to leave you alone. They will leave you alone if you're full of Jesus. Okay? But watch this now. James wrote this. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God because you will have to compromise your convictions to be embraced by the world and received by the world and applauded by the world. No Christian walking in the Spirit of God, fully committed to Christ, is going to be applauded by the world. 
Pastor Jeff's message, he urged you to detach from worldly pursuits and fix your gaze on the promises of heaven. Your time on this earth is smaller than a speck of dust compared to the eternity that awaits. By living in anticipation of your reserved place in heaven, you cultivate a perspective that transcends the temporary, anchoring your heart in the eternal. Be driven by the hope of heavenly inheritance, shaping your choices and actions. Here's Diane with some more info about Hardwired. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We're so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to GIVE. Here's Daniel one more time with a sneak peek about the next edition. As you navigate the challenges of your earthly journey, let Pastor Jeff's next message remind you to fix your gaze on a perfect unseen kingdom, heaven. Focus on heavenly truths and transform your life from the inside out. Be inspired and uplifted as you center your heart on a life filled with prayer above anything else. You are always on God's heart and mind, and He wants nothing more than to simply hear from His children. Talk to God in everything you do. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Hebrews next time on Hardwired. Hardwired.